On Sunday afternoon in a Minneapolis suburb, police pulled over a 20-year-old man named Dante Wright in a routine traffic stop. Minutes later, Wright was dead, shot by a police officer. Sunday afternoon, a few miles outside of Minneapolis, police shot a young black man who then died. This adds to the already high tensions in the Minneapolis area. Soon after, dozens of people showed up at the scene, leading to an emotionally charged standoff between them and police. As word of Wright's death spread, people took to the streets to protest. They went out after Dante's death to go grieve and protest and recognize his death. And the reaction to that gathering on Sunday night was tear gas and chemicals being sprayed and things being lobbed back and forth between police and protesters and, you know, essentially violence. There was anger in the air because the police killing of Dante Wright happened at a moment of high tension in Minneapolis, in the middle of the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former police officer who's charged with the murder of George Floyd. There's not a lot of trust left with this community. They have seen this violence against Black people, particularly young Black men, before. Here we are again, and the community is again grieving the death of a young Black man at the hands of police. It's hard for them to swallow. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaum. It's Tuesday, April 13th. Coming up on the show, from George Floyd to Dante Wright, the tension in Minneapolis. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This episode contains strong language and audio that may be disturbing to some listeners. So please take care while listening. After Dante Wright was killed, word of his death spread through the community of Brooklyn Center, a suburb of Minneapolis. I mean, pretty immediately, people reacted. Once it was known that a shooting had happened, I think, people start to gather. That's our colleague, Aaron Aylworth. So you saw protests even Sunday night with people out where it happened and out at the police department, essentially just reacting, you know, yelling at police, you know, trying to figure out information because initially not much was known. You know, it was a traffic stop that ended in the death of a 20-year-old. So on Monday, 
the Brooklyn Center mayor and chief of police held a press conference. Can you set the scene and what the atmosphere was like in the room? It was tense. When I got to the police department where they were having this press conference, the sidewalk outside was lined with police and National Guard, and they were in riot helmets and the body armor, and a truck with a crane was dropping those big cement barriers in order to put up fencing around the building. What did we learn about Dante Wright and his encounter with the police, and what were the explanations given? Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Tim Gannon. It's G-A-N-N-O-N. I'm the chief of police here in Brooklyn Center. So at the press conference, the police chief actually released body camera footage of Dante Wright's shooting. And he walked us through what had happened. I caution everybody as you watch this that this will be graphic and unedited. Could I have that video start, please? that officers had stopped this car for an expired registration. And so at this point, you know, body camera essentially starts and the police chief lets it play. And the body camera shows us that police have Dante Wright outside of the car. There is a brief scuffle where He tries to get back into the car. They're trying to pull him out. And then you hear an officer yell. Taser, taser, taser. And you see her point this weapon and fire. And the very next thing is is her saying, Oh, shit, I shot him. The chief said, I'm putting this out this quickly because I want to be transparent. I want you to see what happened. But it didn't really seem to soothe any emotions the the way that he expected. In fact, it ramped them up. Because it wasn't just the shooting of Dante Wright that the community was mad at at that point. And so there was a lot of anger at the police response. Tensions between residents and police around Minneapolis have been high since the killing of another unarmed Black man, George Floyd. George Floyd's death was such a moment, right? It really galvanized people emotionally, brought up a lot of questions about policing and race and social justice and how we need to be handling that and what happened in Minneapolis because of that, both the protests but also the violence and the looting. And those tensions have been heightened in the last few weeks as Derek Chauvin went on trial for the murder of Floyd. We knew that Derek Chauvin's trial was going to bring up those emotions again, was going to make people relive this moment. And not just once, but over and over again as evidence was presented, as testimony came up. And so really, as the trial approached, I just kept thinking about both George Floyd's family, these officers, and the community, and how they were going to react again, and whether that reaction was going to remain peaceful or spill over into violence, and I wasn't sure. So testimony began about two weeks ago. Where are we in the trial now? 
prosecution called their last witness yesterday. So up until now, it's been the prosecution making their case, walking jurors through the body cam, the witness footage, how George Floyd's death essentially unfolded, then moving through police department witnesses who spoke about training and use of force and whether the restraint used on George Floyd was in line with that training. What are some moments over the last two weeks that have stood out for you and why? One of the biggest ones was the chief of the Minneapolis Police Department testifying and essentially speaking out against Derek Chauvin's actions. Once there was no longer any resistance, and clearly when Mr. Floyd was no longer responsive and even motionless, to continue to apply that level of force that in no way, shape, or form is anything that um, uh, is by policy, is not part of our training, and it is certainly not part of our ethics or our values. And that was a sentiment that was echoed by a number of the police officers who testified, and they were all high-ranking members of the department. But it is unusual to hear police officers testify in this way against one of their peers, against a colleague. They don't usually do that. What has the mood in the city been like since the trial started? Really a city on edge. You can walk outside and government center, which is where the trial is taking place, is surrounded by fencing. You know, I was out walking around this morning and there was a National Guard guy posted armed on one of the balconies at government center. And windows are boarded up around this area and elsewhere around town. And people everywhere are talking about this trial. And there was a lot of fear that, you know, the verdict would set off another round of violence. But it wasn't the case itself that set off more violence. It was another fatal encounter between a Black man and police, the killing of Wright. Aaron spoke with several residents about their reaction to the death of Wright and to the trial against Chauvin. One person she spoke with was Nikima Levy-Armstrong, a lawyer and former president of the Minneapolis chapter of the NAACP. She was pretty emotional. I'm just, I'm just heartbroken, you know, that we're here again, and we know we'll be here again in the future, unless and until Minnesota decides to overhaul its system of policing and take account. She talked to me about how, you know, the timing of this couldn't have been worse, coming in the middle of Derek Chauvin's trial, where their community is already upset, still upset because of George Floyd's death and going through what essentially is a traumatic trial and now grieving another Black man's death. For Nakima and other members of the community, do they see links between the killing of Dante Wright and the trial of George Floyd? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's just echoes of the two, right? They question, would police have reacted the same way if this wasn't a Black man? That's the biggest echo. But again, the timing. You've got 
Derek Chauvin's trial happening, and he's on trial for the death of a black man in a police encounter. And so to have another black man die in a police encounter while that trial is happening, it's just it is not the parallel that this community wanted or needed to see. After the break, what's next for the Chauvin trial and the people of Minneapolis? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Monday was another emotional day of testimony in Chauvin's trial. The prosecution called George Floyd's brother, Philonis, to the stand. Philonis is what you call a spark of life witness. He's a family member who is brought in to essentially bring George Floyd to life for the jury. And so he talked about, you know, growing up with his brother who couldn't cook worth anything, but always made sure that his younger siblings had a snack. But George also, he used to make the best banana mayonnaise sandwiches, and he used to make syrup sandwiches because George couldn't cook, he couldn't boil water. You know, how much George Floyd loved his mother, how close they were, um, how he would always, you know, if a sibling tried to call him away from his mother's side, you know, he would say, hang on, I've got to kiss mama first. And then walked jurors through who George Floyd was, you know, as he went through school and how he became a sports star and got a scholarship to attend college at one point. Oh, he um, said, hey, man, let's go hooping. And we always went hooping, and uh, you have to you have to hoop every day because if you don't go and shoot a whole bunch of shots, like 50 to 100 shots a day, and my brother will always say you'll never be able to compete. So really just trying to let jurors know a little bit more about the personal side of George Floyd and who he was to his family and friends. Even as the city and world were watching the Chauvin trial, people in the Minneapolis area were turning their attention to the death of Wright and gathering on the streets of Brooklyn Center. I was there, and it was already pretty tense. By the time I got there, you know, just tons of people walking around, crowding nearest police. Lots of police presence as well. A huge number of them stood in one driveway and at one point sort of advanced forward to push the crowd back. And it just, it got more and more tense. The crowd was chanting Dante Wright's name. At certain points at police, they were chanting the phrase, no justice, no peace, prosecute the police. 
and it escalated, particularly after curfew. Curfew had been called, and so every so often the police would get on a bullhorn or some sort of speaker and say to the crowd, you are in violation of curfew and you need to disperse. Um, and the crowd really just, you know, obviously did not disperse. And in some instances responded by throwing things at police. So I saw water bottles lobbed, um, fireworks went off, and then chemical agents and flashbangs were used back against the crowd. So I'm not sure if it was tear gas or pepper spray, but lots of it was flying last night. After George Floyd's killing a year ago, there were promises about changes to policing in communities of color. Now that there's been another shooting of an unarmed Black man, what does that say about those promises? I think it shows that even if there are good intentions behind those promises, these types of changes get made very, very slowly, and that there's a lot that needs to be worked through before any sort of change can be affected. And because it's not just changing training, but it's changing culture. And then it's also repairing the relationship between police and these communities who feel that the police don't actually make them safe. But these two incidents are also quite different in a sense of a horrible accident and nine minutes of restraint. Does that matter? They're both egregious in different ways. Nine minutes of restraint is, I mean, we've all seen the video. It's very, very difficult to watch police officers restrain George Floyd for that long as the life essentially drains out of him, right? Um, But Dante Wright's shooting is also difficult to take precisely because this officer meant to pull a taser, which is a less lethal weapon, and instead fired a gun and killed someone. And I don't think that it being an accident um, makes it any easier for people to understand and come to grips with. How could you mistake a taser for a gun, being a veteran on the police force? Completely unacceptable. She needs to be fired. She needs to be charged with murder for killing Dante Wright. In fact, yesterday when I was talking to Nakima and some of the other activists, they they essentially said to me, listen, can we really trust that it was an accident? Yeah, she said, taser, taser, taser on this video. But did she really mean to pull her gun? How do we know that she didn't? And that, to me, spoke to the distrust in the community that what the police chief thinks is a very clear-cut video of an accident still doesn't allay the fear of the community members watching it and thinking, is my son or daughter next? Today, the Brooklyn Center police chief and the officer who killed Wright both resigned from the force. And in Chauvin's trial, the prosecution rested its case, 
and the defense started calling its own witnesses. They planned to build a case that Floyd didn't die because of Chauvin. He died because of other factors, like a heart condition or drug use. That's all for today, Tuesday, April 13th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Joe Barrett. Additional audio was courtesy of Jelani Hussein via Storyful and the Associated Press. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.